and peace. You're listening to United We Pray. Taking Racial Struggles to the Throne of Grace, United We Pray is a podcast about racial divisions in churches. I'm one of the hosts, Isaac Adams. I'm here with Trillia Nouvelle. Hello. <laughs> and we are here by my big time friend, the one, the only, Duquan, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hey, thanks for having me, guys. So do, glad. Do you like my introduction, bro? Yeah, man. That was great. That was a great drum roll. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, just so they can know and enjoy this, this is the remix of this conversation because last time we tried to have it, we, uh, or we, I, uh, there were technical difficulties. So here we are back again, rem- reminding ourselves that the Lord gives second chances. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We live in the gospel. We live in <laughs> We just wearing it. We just owning it. <laughs> so there we are living in the gospel. So uh yeah, original version. Here's the remix. So, but it'll be the same conversation. We're talking about the other other today. Mm. What mm. about the other other? Chopping mm. with our brother Duke Quan. Duke, before I hop into uh even just talking and breaking out that phrase, other, just introduce yourself to folks, who you are, uh, your ethnic background, you know. Why the two black people were on time for the call, but you were late. (laughs) (laughs) How you break stereotypes. Go ahead. Man, that's right. Um, Well, my name is Duke and I am a pastor in Washington, D.C., church planter um, and uh, help to build and lead um, a congregation called Grace Meridian Hill. We're a part of the Grace D.C. network, three congregations that form one church here in Washington, D.C. I've been here for about 13 years, and which has been a lot of fun, a lot of challenge, um, but a, a joy to be, not, not only because it's a unique city being the nation's capital, um, but also because of the rich joys and challenges of uh, being a quite racially diverse city and a fast-changing one, too, with respect to its demographics. So, uh, building a church community in the presence of all these unique ethnic and racial dynamics um, is something very special. Um, I grew up in California, Southern California, about two hours from L.A. And so West Coast uh, roots and a big Lakers fan uh, in my soul, um, but came over to the East Coast for college and haven't gone back. So I'm a east coast convert now well that's me in a nutshell okay cool that, that yeah. is duke oh, oh, yeah. you also asked i'm, I'm korean american um so my parents uh my parents uh are originally from south korea and they came to the u.s in 69 uh so myself and my two sisters were all born here in the states i was born in dayton ohio uh, and so uh uh but so we have kind of that bicultural identity being immigrant kids, second generation immigrant kids uh, uh, with uh, Korean roots, but very much growing up here in the States, we have a, an American identity as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, brother. Um, one time we were getting uh, chicken and biscuits, I think it was, and we were just talking about things we could uh, talk about. And you brought up this conversation about the other other. Uh, yeah. In other words, um that when we're talking about race, there is there is a unique conversation between black and white, uh, but it's not an exclusive conversation. 
Uh, so race and racism has not only touched upon black and white, it's touched upon others. It's touched upon other other ethnicities, eth- other ethnic- ethnicities. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, and I want to give a quick example uh, from history uh, that illustrates otherness. And then I want to give a quick definition of that word other uh, for our purposes here, uh, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about otherness. So I've been uh, slowly working on this book, United by Faith. We talked to Michael Emerson on another episode. Um, and in this, it, it has an interesting story, I think, about this exact point, how uh, even between the, the conversation is different than just the black and white conversation. Uh, and he says, it's important to note that uh, congregations in the 1600s were not yet segregated into separate white and black churches. Europeans did not invite Native Americans into congregations as they did African Americans during this early colonial period. Europeans treated Native Americans as the other in matters of faith. All contact was from a distance. Mm-hmm. So there we see another uh, Native Americans being otherized. And uh, just for more of a theological kind of definition of that, it actually came in um, Tim and Kathy Keller's book on marriage. Uh, but she, Kathy Keller spells this out nicely, I think. She says, over the last 30 years, many philosophers and social theorists have reflected on the problem of otherness. It is natural to define one's identity against others who are different. Many have argued that this process automatically leads people to strengthen their sense of worth and uniqueness by excluding and subordinating those who are other, who are not like us. Christians can acknowledge that our sinful drive for self-justification often leads us to despise those who think, feel, and behave differently than we do. Personal, racial, and class pride naturally grow out of the human's heart. Human's heart alienation from God and therefore our need to prove ourselves and win an identity based on our specialness, superiority, and performance. And I think that's just a helpful framework for our time. When we talk about otherness, we're talking about making someone else or making a group of people inferior based on our sinful drive for self-justification. And I think that's really interesting, especially considering even just the founding of our country that, you know, the first Africans in Jamestown were not seen as slaves. I was reading this article by the sociologist Audrey Smedley, and she was making that point. So anyway... Trillia, mm. over to you. I just wanted to set the background of otherness so folks know what we're talking about by that word and concept. Yeah, well, well, I wonder if if Duke is that how you would define other other? Are you uh, defining it similarly, or is there any other definition? So I was curious if there, mm. if you had addition to that before I jump into the next question. Yeah, no, I'm cool with that, and I think part of what we're gathering here to talk about is that there are multiple kinds of others, right? And so I think part of what we're gonna be touching on is this question of um, how do we expand the scope of interracial dialogue in the church beyond just the black and white categories, which which, um, have its reasons and and we can talk about that. Um, But certainly, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with everything that my brother read and so let's, yeah, let's talk about, well, how, what, what does it look like really to include and incorporate in these conversations all kinds of others? Well, what does it? That is actually my next question. What do you think it, it what does it feel like to be the 
other, other. When Isaac was talking about history, the first thing that came into my mind was the Japanese camps here in the United States. We also have a history of dividing and uh, separated from the other, other. Though I would say now from a distance, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it would seem like um, the Asian population is, 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 um, prospering here in the States. So, so I, I don't know that I think it's corrected itself in some regards, but what, what has it been like as a Christian, um, in the U S second generation to be a, what I guess you're considering yourself as the other, other. Well, I think, um, it, it's been harder than people think. And I think that's part of the narrative, right? Because um, Asian Americans, um, I'll be quick to add, Asian Americans, both outside the church, so in broader society, but also in in the church, too, um, are generally assumed to be doing just fine. Um, it's part of what's often called the model minority myth, right? That Asian Americans generally are... Um, financially well off, are highly educated, are doing very well. And the, the first thing to note about that is that that data is far too generalized, far too stereotyped, um, because uh, Asia is a very large place and Asians are a very large uh, percentage of the entire world. And so when we just talk about Asians, and about a lot, a lot of different kinds of people, subgroups, ethnic groups, uh, subdominant communities, and we, if we really want to be caring for our neighbors, we need to understand what that breakdown actually looks like. And what you find is that some of the most impoverished um, and economically uh, and socially struggling communities in America are actually Southeast Asian. Um, and uh, generally, the more prosperous uh, groups that are often um, sort of identified writ large with Asian Americans are East Asians, South uh, Korean Americans, Japanese Americans, and Chinese okay. Americans. So, so we yeah. it, it's it's helpful to uh, to understand that it's good to break down um, even these statistics and numbers to understand uh, that not everyone is doing well. Uh, yeah. Asian American. Uh, that label actually incorporates, or Asian American Pacific Islander, if you want to be even more technical, it incorporates a, a huge number of people. I have a quick question in regards to that. So are you, there are cultures, obviously, that are divided amongst themselves. So would would these who are from Southeast Asia relate well to those who are more, the North, uh, what did you say, the North? East Asians who would be prosperous, or are are you all divided even amongst yourselves? Yeah, there there are divisions. I mean, there, it, it depends. I mean, it's case by case and person to person and, and community community. Um, but because there are a lot of similarities and affinities, and so of, of course there are some natural uh, lines of affinity just by being of general broad Asian descent that can bring you together, common experiences and some similarities of culture and. Um, that sort of thing. But uh, but there are a lot of real differences as well, especially when you talk about historical differences back in your homelands or your parents' homelands. So even uh, politically, what happened in uh, Vietnam and what continues to happen in yep. uh, some of these other nations there versus in Korea and China and, and Japan and such. Um, but also uh, their experiences here in the States have been very, very different. Um, sure. 
Cambodians that have come here as refugees or Vietnamese uh, uh, neighbors that have come here as refugees have a very different experience of American life than, um, say, Korean yep. immigrants who came as professionals, engineers and doctors and such, and who were brought on precisely because of their social skill and power and were from the outset seen as a contributor to American society. Uh, those are two mm-hmm. very different experiences of, of, of uh, American life. You're and right. so, so my point to turn that on its head is to say, but even as a Korean American, even as a, a person in one of those groups that generally can be described as doing fairly well economically and such, there's still the ongoing experience of alienation there's still a sense of marginalization. Um, Asian Americans will talk often about um, being quote unquote perpetually foreign, um, that no matter how long you've been here, you are always seen as different and foreign uh, just by virtue of your physical appearance or whatever. Uh, people are always asking you, where are you from? Where are you from? You know, uh, who, why are you asking me where I'm from? Where are you from? <laughs> and, and actually, you know, this is a, a near universal experience because you know what they actually have in their mind when you say, well, I'm from California. No, no, but no, no, no. But where are you from? Oh, well, I was, I was born in Ohio. <laughs> That's true. No, Duke, but, but where are no, you no, from? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's a, it's a it's a subtle thing, but it's very impactful. When you get asked yeah. that your entire life, again and again and yeah. again, you start to internalize this message, I must not belong. I must not be from here. I must not be seen as a true neighbor. And that experience extends even into the church as well. Yeah. And so um, I, I think it's important to note Um, I've been blessed to be a part of a lot of wonderful church communities um, uh, that have loved the Lord and that have uh, discipled me and nurtured me through all different seasons of life. Um, But yeah, there are plenty of times when you're in a church and you feel like, oh, I'm I I really am seen as different. I really am seen as someone that's not really part of the church community. Again, even while I bear this model minority myth. How does it play out really particular, uh, specifically besides um, people asking you what ethnicity you are, how do, how does it play out in regards to, do, do you feel alienated in, in your mind or are you snubbed? Are you, has, have you experienced racism? I'm just yeah, I think, um, I mean, some of it is is stuff like just cultural differences that can be alienating sort of assumptions that, well, hey, yeah. you know, on in and, and be part of what really are white cultural norms in a worship service, say, whether by the music that's being sung or by, um, you know, the degree of expressiveness that's permissible in a worship service. And of course, it's never seen as cultural. It's just seen as biblical or, or neutral, right? Um, so just there, you know, are alienating experiences yeah. like that. Um, but no, I think at times there have been um, sort of uh, uh, assumptions made about, you know, for example, when I was um, going through church planting um, assessment and training, uh, multiple times I would get the question, 
you know, I'm just coming in as a, as a church planter candidate and I would get the question, are you going to plant a Korean church? Oh. And, you know, I step back and I'm like, well, maybe, but what makes you think I might, right? Yeah. Upon basis, do we have these assumptions right. about, um, you know, uh, what kind of ethnic profile community, that, what, what if, uh, yeah. I were to ask the same thing of another person of another ethnicity, it would be a strange right. It, it is a strange but question. <laughs> flipped around, but that's sort of the assumption. And just to run with that example, you know, in certain uh, settings, I'm not, you know, pointing fingers at anyone. I think it's a pretty universal thing. But when you are going through leadership training or assessment or equipping, how much even leadership standards are formed around certain cultural norms? What kind of person is a good leader? Uh, what makes a good leader? And often what you'll find is um, Asian Americans will be looked over or looked past because they don't sort of fit uh, sort of the more public, assertive, uh, sort of extroverted person that will take over the room and crack a joke and get the room laughing and that sort of thing. And so you actually do see uh, those cultural norms in leadership evaluation settings looking past or passing over very well-qualified Asian-American uh, leader candidates um, just because the expectations um, don't allow for uh, Asians to sort of rise up and, and be seen as uh, capable leaders. Yeah, I, I, I found myself chuckling and I just want to make sure you know and, and those listening know that I... And I shouldn't chuckle at ridiculousness, but it's almost—it <laughs> is almost so like why would why do we do that? Um, and so, and so I I want to be careful that we that there's um, that someone wouldn't think that I I think they're complete idiots. I do though. Don't under I I think we are we can be be more thoughtful. Like it, it's, it just doesn't, I, I think we just, if we slow down and we're a little bit more thoughtful, we wouldn't run into um, so much of this. And I think part of it also is, I'm so glad you're on this podcast because I don't think people even probably realize the effect that they have, especially you talking about that leader, the leadership. I think I, I am confident most people aren't thinking about that. I think that they would say it's a stereotype on a leader in general, but I don't think they're realizing that they are potentially cutting out a, an entire group of people because of the way that they have their, their, how they have defined what should be a leader and what a leader should look like. So anyways, I just wanted and, to and say, by the way, if I could jump in on that one leadership question, there's actually a lot of good research that's been done, sociological research that's been done in the business world that indicates that most corporate definitions of leadership um, literally exclude Asian Americans from that equation, right? They, that if you, when surveying corporate executives, they do say things like Asian Americans are good workers and they produce good stuff, but generally speaking, they are not leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and so there actually is some data behind that as well. So I want to go back to that point about the thoughtfulness, because I think it's really helpful one and interesting one about being thoughtful because, you know, and Duke, this goes back to what you were saying before about, you know, that question, 
but where are you from? Like, kind of like, I'm going to put from in bold and italics and underline, like, maybe it'll right. be clearer then. Um, because, you know, if you think about the question, there is an appeal to some standard in that person's mind that you, Duke, or what, whoever they're talking to, are somehow different from. You know, it's, you know, people would say, I'm not, I think people who would say, you know, where are you from? They're not meaning in their mind, they wouldn't think they're appealing to race, but they are appealing to some cultural standard in their mind. And I was reading this book uh, by Daniel Hill, I think, called White Awake, An Honest Look at What It Means to Be White. Uh, and he was talking about that exact scenario about like, no, but where are you from? And I, I, I mean, I've even done that at times with folks just being being ignorant and i think that's why i'm 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 so glad you're on here because it shows that we are all ignorant just in different subjects right and i think the danger of having this conversation exclusively black and white or if we act like we know it all then it discourages people from wanting to learn and i think it 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 conveys that there's some secret knowledge if people just tapped into like that like oh somehow we've got this conversation all figured out but you're the ignorant idiot in the in the corner um but do going back to that then I, I i think the last time on the original version of this podcast uh <laughs> we talked about the black white conversation and you were talking about how it is it is a unique conversation and a good conversation and i think you were even saying archetypal conversation what do you mean by that just bring some of that back in I just mean that historically, uh, the racial uh, struggle that we see in this country, and therefore also the American church, has been historically at root a struggle between black and white. And and so it's important for us to honor that history uh, because so much of our social institutions and our norms and our practices and our, and our attitudes and mindsets, all these things have been shaped around Absolutely. our understanding of blackness and whiteness that I believe that if we're going to unravel this crazy, broken, sometimes sinful knot, uh, uh, you know, that is just what it means to be a racial person in, in, in this country, that we actually need to get to the heart of that black and white struggle. Um, so I, I see it as an archetypal struggle, as I, I, as I like to say, and I say again and again, even for Asian Americans, I believe that in order to understand Asianness in this country, you have to understand blackness mm. historically, sociologically, um, how it's functioned, um, how Asian Americans have so often been used as a foil to blackness, and that is the story of the model minority myth. And so we 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 are uh, you know weaved into a single garment of destiny, right? I mean, we get we are tied to each other, and so um, so I think it's important for us to start there. And to put in a lot of work into the black-white struggle, but we just need to not stay there. Much more to explore. Duke, I really appreciate you saying that. I heard someone once say, um, we didn't immigrate here. We were forced here. And I, I think that's an important distinction so that we can, so that we will, we will honor the, the, the history and that way we can move forward in unity I think better if we if we um, dive into the American history that has been um, so divisive and and really sinful in regards to the black white relationship, and then from the from there we exactly we don't want to stay there. We do we want to 
continue and, and branch out. So that leads actually to my next question. What role can those from other ethnicities have in this conversation? Yeah. Well, I think, um, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. And I mean, there, there are, I think, a couple of different levels. Um, for one, I think it is important to make sure that our conversation is not just black and white, because strictly speaking, scripture doesn't talk in categories of race. Scripture talks in categories of ethnic groups, ethnos, tribes, language groups. And so um, what we do have to get to is sort of even on an ethnic level, what, what are people's experiences? What are their unique contributions to the body of Christ? What are ways in which we have historical struggles and, and dividing walls that need to be broken? And, and sometimes by only talking in terms of black and white or even in talking in terms of broad strokes racial groups, we are uh, not talking specifically enough about the real troubles and divisions that separate us from one another, even in the body of Christ. And so you just, you add more people into the mix, you start to see all these different layers start to emerge, ways in which we can grow in reconciliation together. I think that there a couple other things come to mind. I think when we have um, more um, uh, ethnic groups in the mix, so say Asian Americans or, or Latin Americans, um, it becomes for us a lens through which we can actually learn more about the sin of racism. Yeah, and yeah. by that, what I mean is, uh, you know, if you boil it down biblically, the sin of racism is some combination of the sin of oppression or the sin of superiority, the sin of partiality, yep. the sin of pride, the sin of, you know, ethnocentricity is sort of this this combination of all those things, which at root is idolatry, right? So we can, we need biblical categories to understand how sin is wrecking us in our relationships, but that manifests itself differently as it impacts different groups. And so I, if I only understand the experience of racial sin as a Korean American, I'm only going to see one sliver of how people are being harmed. But when I look over to one side of me and I start getting to know the story of my Cambodian sister, then I start to understand, oh, there's a whole different way in which she feels demeaned. And then I'm here talking to my African-American brother, and I'm learning that long, ugly history of oppression for the last 400 years in this nation. And I say, oh, there's a different level of the systemization of people. Right and institutional oppression that is unmatched in this country, except for perhaps by the plight of the native American brothers and right. sisters. Bring in all these different contours, like we will understand the nature of racial sin and all its ugly complexities better when we have more people around the table. Now the flip side is true as well. We will also see more contours to the dimensions of racial righteousness as well. I was thinking well, actually, that. we'll see, we've got more people in the room, we will see new glories of how we can be reconciled right. to each other. Uh, we will see new ways in which each ethnic group uniquely contributes, not just to the dialogue around race, but contributes to the body of Christ. Yes, to thriving. Yeah. And a glory and a special gift that every uh, culture will contribute and bring um, to the church and to our relationships 
Um, but if you are only sitting across the table from one dialogue partner, whoever that might be, whatever group that might be, then you are only getting a one-dimensional picture of what reconciliation can look like and only one dimension of what a picture of wholeness might look like. Yeah. Uh, we really need to, it's like sort of saying, hey, we got an arm and a leg and the room and look at our body. What a great body we have. It's like, no, no you, you need a nose. You need a you, Absolutely. You, you, Come you on, know, Doc. The picture, you need, you need more, the whole body to start talking about wholeness. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes we only have two body parts with respect to groups. We only have two body parts in the room and we say, look how whole we is. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and we're not. So, so uh, how do we have the fullness of body life represented in a way that we can grow together? Let me throw in one other dimension of how I think having more people in the conversation can help us. I have seen that sometimes um, groups can get so stuck in their historic differences. So whether if that's um, Korean Americans or, or Koreans with Japanese folks um, because of the history of oppression and conflict overseas, right. or if it's uh, American whites and American blacks here in this country, sometimes you, you get so stuck in those historic differences and hostilities, you almost need a mediator and an arbiter. <laughs> you need an outsider that can actually speak on one's behalf and advocate, call out, facilitate repentance, help to build bridges, to say things without the baggage that that person across from you carries every time they say the exact same words, but in a different way, right? So sometimes we need mediation <laughs> and having a more mixed um, group of brothers and sisters in Christ in dialogue together helps us uh, to move past impasses, I think, that we have uh, or, or, or defenses that we've erected or inabilities to articulate uh, that we've been stumped by again and again and again. We can help each other out. We can say things uh, in a new way, in a fresh way, and actually forge better reconciliation by the power of the gospel together. Mm. So right. say, let's mix it up. Let's mix yeah. it up, right? Oh, no. yeah. And Duke, That's I just, uh, <clears throat> to, to one of the points you said about helping one another, um, I was helped recently. Uh, so I, I led, you know, a thousand people in prayer this past Sunday. Uh, we prayed for Korea. We prayed for North and South Korea. And I was tremendously helped uh, by talking to Korean brothers uh, and sisters in my congregation. And then you shared a post also, I think, by your friend Moses, uh, Korean brother, uh, just explaining how that news about uh, the meeting between the leaders of North and South Korea uh, was shaking and for me, I mean, that was that was a time for the body uh, to to lend assistance and lend sight to me that I couldn't see in my immediate experience. And that was uh, I think that was for me a picture of what you were talking about. It was like, I don't I don't innately know the Korean experience uh, or, you know, even experiences within the Korean experience. So that was exactly what you were talking about. One last thing before uh, before we pray. Uh, I do want to ask you, Duke, because you were you were making this point, and I think it's so useful about biblical categories. Um, and in this conversation, you've commented before on how you see these matters as a discipleship issue. And given the lack of discipleship, they're not uh, given the lack of discipleship on these issues. Um, folks aren't seeing how the Bible informs this conversation. 
You know, people are grabbing from the far right and the far left to fill that vacuum, those different ideologies. Can you explain just a little more about that and what you mean, how you've how you've seen that? Yeah, I think um, it's hard to miss that, um, you know, one of the most, yeah, just racial conversation is on the rise. It's a big deal. It's a comment. It's a huge topic. Everyone's talking about it and everyone's responding differently. Um, and I think part of what's happened in the church is that um, uh, either a lot of people are suspicious of this racial talk because they hear the language of the secular academy being accessed and used and not enough of the language of scripture. And so there's a resistance. This doesn't sound biblical. This doesn't sound gospel-centered or gospel-grounded. This just sounds like the ideologies of the world. And so there's maybe you might say an understandable suspicion on some level around these things. On the other hand, uh, you have people that are using um, a lot of the terms and categories that may have come from the secular academy, but whether or not they're actually onto something that's true and right, are not actually well discipled in understanding how those things are actually uh, uh, related to the truths of the gospel or the truths of scripture. And so they, they are running with a certain language or a mind frame, but without a deeper understanding of how it relates to Christian theology and gospel foundations. And I think what we just need to do is connect more of those dots. I think we need to just have make this conversation more grounded in the gospel, partly so that in the church we have a common language. And by gospel, what I mean is the fullness of scripture, that we're mining the whole counsel of God and scripture, and we're finding all that the Bible has to say about our racial hostilities, about our tendency towards idolatry of our personal identities, of our resistance towards the other, of the ways in which we will always tend to subjugate and oppress. That's just our ugly human nature, especially when we're in groups and communities, all the more so. So we, we and as well as the call to reconciliation and harmony and, and wholeness and all, all that. So we just need to fill out our theology all the more. I mean, the, the, the truth is one of the reasons why we are right now in a period where we are doing a lot of borrowing from secular academy when we're looking for labels and categories is because the church is behind yes on knowing how to biblically address these things we have not formed our own biblical categories and terminologies we don't have a shared vocabulary we haven't really matured in our facility to address racial struggles and so it is it stands to reason that people would be grabbing what's out there, which is what the church used. So actually more than condemning or critiquing or being frustrated, sure, there's there's some level of critique that might be warranted, but we need to understand the reason why we're facing that dynamic is because of the failure of the church. <laughs> that ought to humble us that we have, um, we have a lot of work to do. And that's joyful work, though. I think it's an exciting opportunity that we have uh, to really build um, what's not yet there, and to, uh, from the ground up, forge um, a rich uh, common practice and common set of convictions around how we can be more of what Jesus intended us to be as, a, as his multi-ethnic bride, yes. uh, one day to be perfectly glorified, yet not yet there, 
but on our yet. not yet, but on our way, right? Yeah, and, right. And his and his promise is sure. Uh, so we're gonna get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, man, I think I think it's a, a joyful project, right? Mm-hmm. To deepen our biblical roots in the way that we talk about and forge racial unity. Mm. That's so good. I hope if anything, people hear that, that it's a joyful, it's a joyful work. It's a joyful, it's hard. (laughs) And there are times of great lament, but, but it's what a work, what, what a time to be alive. As my Mm. friend Ray Ortland says, (laughs) what a a time to Mm. be alive that we could contribute at all is absolutely amazing. Such a blessing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, sister. Well, with that, I mean, given that it's a joyful work, and just the the layers of what we were talking about, Duke. I just appreciate you, brother, bringing the complex, the fleshing out, and really just put putting it in three D, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing putting that picture in color. Uh, no pun intended, or I guess the pun is intended. Um, we need help with that work, and what we do on the show. While we love talking to one another, uh, our greatest joy and our greatest privilege is that we get to talk to God. Uh, as as a family, and we were even saying before this episode started uh, that we're praying to the same Father. That that yeah. Lord, the Lord's prayer begins with our Father. We're in the same family. Uh, so mm-hmm. Trill, can you open us, and then Duke, uh, yeah. you'll pray after Trillia, and then I can close us in prayer. And just taking up some of the themes we've talked about uh, so much that I'm like, man, I need to go read and learn, and even do the hard work of creating thinking about those biblical categories that are there. I mean, we, you know, what is that story of that parable where, you know, the one dude is praying, thank God I'm not like that guy. And the one, and the one dude is praying, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I mean, there we see otherizing. I mean, that's what we're talking yes. about. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I just thank you that we get to have this conversation about, um, ethnicity, uh, diversity, unity, but as it's already been um, shared, we need help. It is a joyful work, but it is also a hard labor. It is hard, and we don't want to grow weary in doing good, and we don't want our listeners to grow weary in doing good, and we don't want the church to grow weary in doing good. So God, I pray that you would enable us, equip us, help us so that we can um, walk in a manner worthy of your gospel and step out in faith on this topic. Lord, may we see the other other. God, may the other other, that even that label, I ugh, it just makes my skin crawl, Lord. May it disappear, that people would not feel other, that they would feel apart, that people would would know that they are a part, not just a feeling, but a knowing that they are a part, that the dividing walls of hostility and all of these things that um, Duke has alluded to would be torn down. God, I pray for unity and not just unity as a kumbaya happy, but true unity that is um founded in, in a foundation of your word and your cross, God. And only you can do that in our hearts. And God, where we have failed to love and serve those who are not like us, who are different, if you want to label it that way, who are, um, we've said the other, other. God, 
I pray we would be convicted, Lord. Convict us and and may we repent of our unloving um, thoughts, attitudes, assumptions, God. Um, may we get to know our neighbor and um, their life, their history, God. May we never assume, uh, I think, I can't remember the, the phrase, but that cultural stereotype of um, Asians and, and their prosperity, or whatever it is, God, may those things crumble, Lord, that so that they don't divide us, God. So I pray that we would um, grow in knowledge and grow in love. And Lord, you are the only one who can help us with that, and that our knowledge would lead us to... Um, to repentance, Lord, where it need, where where we need to repent, God, and that we would know it is your kindness. And um, so, God, thank you for who you are, that you are awesome, holy God, and that we could come before you just on this podcast. And what a beautiful picture that brings, even even in this podcast, God. So, thank you for um, just who you are and what you're doing, Lord Jesus. Um... Man, this is for you. This is for you. This topic, this conversation, this labor of love to uh, grow in redemptive ethnic unity. This is for you. It's what you died and bled for. That's what you tell us in your word. You weren't messing around. You, You knew that even our coming together is not achievable except by the death of the Son of God. Mm. And so we want to give you the reward of your suffering by growing in love for one another, by showing to all the world the immeasurable greatness of the power of your cross that can bring together even sinners like myself and Isaac and Trillia Mm-hmm. Uh, that we can laugh and talk about these things together and that we can invite other people of all different kinds of backgrounds together into this conversation. Our prayer is, Jesus, that you would make us one. Mm-hmm. We are not yet one. We pray that you would make us one. Uh, the truth is, in principle, we are one, though. We, mm-hmm. we are united to you, Jesus, and therefore united to one another, And so what we're really praying is that we would actually become in our relationships more truly what we already are in Christ. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So please do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray in particular that you would give us eyes to see one another as you have created us in your image of all different uh, ethnicities and backgrounds and language groups and uh, appearances. And I pray that you would help us to notice one another, help mm-hmm. us to see each other, help us yes. to uh, love one another across these differences, not looking past them, but actually seeing uh, the, the very image of God in one another. Mm-hmm. We pray that you would uh, give us grace to be more prayerful. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for this chance to pray Because, God, when it comes to racial reconciliation or even racial understanding, we repent of our prayerlessness. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we really believe the lie that what we most need is more education or what we most need 
is even conversation or that what we most need is to yell louder or what we most need is to avoid the conversation. I don't know what we think we most need, but it's rare that we say that what we most need to make things better is to pray. Yes, yes. And so Jesus teaches us of our urgency, of our need for grace from the Holy Spirit to grow in unity. Yes. Help us to know that in this struggle, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not that other person. It's not that uh, person that may embody to us racial struggle or symbolize to us racial brokenness, whoever that might be in our own minds. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual powers of darkness and the principalities. This is a spiritual struggle. It's a struggle against our own sin and flesh and institutionalized sin and depression as well, all these things. And so what we really need is a supernatural answer mm-hmm. that comes by you. And mm-hmm. so we pray for your help and we pray for help to pray mm-hmm. and give ourselves to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our Father. Oh God, we praise you for those two words that Jesus modeled for us when he said, hey, pray pray like this. <clears throat> Our Father. Father, I, I praise you that Duke can call you Father, mm-hmm. and Trillia can call you Father, that white, black, yellow Father, that Native Americans can call you Father. Lord, all of us Gentiles can call you Father. Mm. Lord, we thank you for bringing the Gentiles into your plan. That way, all of us by faith are sons of Abraham. Lord, we thank you for that. Oh, God, would you help us to live that truth? God, would you help us to pick up this joyful and yet difficult work that Duke and Trillia talked about? Mm. Would you not let us have any kind of superiority complex about this conversation? Mm. God, we need your help to not self-justify, to not distance others, to not make groups into others, to not make people into others. Father, we need your help. Mm -hmm. We really do, Lord, for everyone listening to the show, would you encourage them and their churches to rely upon you in this conversation? Father, we don't know when to have this conversation and how to have it so often, Lord. Mm -hmm. We don't know if it should be black and white at times or extend further, Lord. Would you help us to think through these these categories? And Lord, would you help us to see how your word comes to bear upon these categories? Lord, we know that your word is sufficient for life and godliness that the man of God might be equipped, that it is sufficient for training in righteousness. Mm. Lord, you've made us righteous in Christ. Help us to live that righteousness toward one another. Lord, I'm challenged by the things my brother has even said on this show about the 3D aspects of this conversation, oh Lord, in all our spheres. Help us to see the marginalized, whatever color they may be. Whatever social class they may be, Lord, would you declare to us our hidden faults? Mm. We have them, Lord. Mm. 
We're asking you to declare to us our hidden faults and give us the grace to not respond to those uh, only in shame, but Lord, any godly grief you need to produce so that we might be one to repentance and right, further righteousness, Lord, go ahead and produce that. Whatever mm-hmm. the pain may be, we are in, Lord. Mm-hmm. And we're asking. We're asking for more wisdom. Your word says if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Father, we ask for more wisdom to think about these categories in biblical ways. To not fill any discipleship vacuum with ideologies simply of the world. Mm-hmm. Father, we pray for clearer vision to recognize common grace, even if it comes from the world, to recognize truth. But Lord, we ultimately want to be standing upon your truth. Yeah. Oh God, would you help us to get there? We all need you in this conversation. Yes. Father, lastly, I just pray that we would all be quicker to see the standards we have in our mind of which we judge other things and other people against. Yes. Father, like Trillius so so helpfully talked about, Lord, help us to be more thoughtful. Help us to see the cultures by which we judge other cultures against the sense of the sense of self-worth that we get from that standard that we get from the group we think we belong to Mm. lord we know that we can press on to make it our own to make the resurrection our own because you because christ father has made us his own Mm mm-hmm Lord, we thank you that we can know who we are and whose we are. And Lord, we we thank you that we are yours. That we belong to God and our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, that is our great hope. Help us as we think about the other, other, as we feel otherized help us we pray and have mercy we trust that you will in jesus name amen amen man brother it's good to uh go to the throne with you yeah man and it's good for, and uh next time maybe we'll do it over um chicken and biscuits but uh <laughs> so folks know where to find you uh they can find you on twitter duquan DC, maybe? DC. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, they can find you somewhere up in the Washington Post and you just helping uh, write uh, <laughs> write things, brother. And uh, I'm grateful for your ministry, grateful for how the Lord uh, is breathing on it. Uh, of mm. course, they can look up Grace Meridian Hill uh, for more of your sermons. Uh, Trillia, we can, we can find her on social media at Trillia Newbell or TrilliaNewbell.com. I'm one of the hosts, Isaac Adams. We're grateful for our producer, Carl Magnuson, who cleans up our... Uh, Hot Mess Recordings. We're grateful for artwork done by Rob Alvey. Uh, We're grateful for Dante Stewart, his work on social media. Uh, You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can share the show with someone. You can hit us up at PrayPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at PrayPod. I think that's my whole spiel. Grace and peace.